Driven by the increasing pace of change and complexities of the work environment, industries and organizations around the world have sharpened their focus on the idea of skills management. I did a little digging on this topic and found this idea of skills management is not just a buzzword or a passing fad. Check out some of these stats. According to PricewaterhouseCoopers 23rd Annual Global CEO Survey, 74% of CEOs are concerned about the availability of key skills within their organizations. And as far as the executives themselves, a recent McKinsey report indicates that 9 out of 10 executives face current skill gaps or expect them in the next five years. That's a lot. So what exactly is skills management? How is it different than what you may already be doing? How do leaders get their arms around this topic? And where do we go from here? That's what's on the docket today. Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Teal. By day, I'm a creative director serving within the innovation team at GP Strategies. Now, a perk of my job is that I also get the honor of hosting the GP Performance Matters podcast. And today's topic is one that is at the heart of workforce transformation, and that is skills management in the larger learning landscape. I'm pleased to be joined in the virtual studio today by a dynamic duo of guests. Here with me is John Plasquelic, Vice President of Human Capital Technologies here at GP, and Jai Shaw, CEO and founder of Kahuna Workforce Solutions. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Talk about a virtual world here. I'm in Phoenix. Jai, you're in California, I'm assuming, correct? Solana Beach, California. Yep. Love it. Beautiful area. I'll trade you spots here in about two months, you know, when it... The temperature starts rising. And I want to start, though, with John, because, John, tell us where you're at right now. I am in lovely Maui, Hawaii. I love it. I yes. love it. This is the benefit of a virtual world. We're all staring at each other in in podcast world right here. So, But, John, tell me a little bit about this. Thank you, number one, for carving out time on your vacation to be with us. But just share a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I... Um, I started in the space actually in HR uh, out of graduate school. My background is actually in uh, industrial organizational psychology. Uh, and after giving that a go for a while, I got into HRIT systems consulting uh, and specifically got into SAP success factors and have been doing that for over 20 years um, and you know have had multiple roles from configuration consultant all the way up to project management uh, and then also running my own company. Uh, uh, and yeah, now I manage uh, a team of consultants that implement uh, HR systems for for, uh, for clients. So you're just a baby in this industry is what I'm hearing, right? Just a, a <laughs> tiny little green pea. So appreciate that. Thank you for taking your time. Jai, how about you? Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So uh, much like John, although John's a little older than I am, um, <laughs> he, uh, I have a consulting background as well. And, and I think that's important in terms of our shared passion around around this uh, subject and what it takes to make it successful. The, the idea of, of kind of selling enterprise change and helping organizations through that change is, is really central to our mission. But uh, about 25 years in the human capital management space, my very first project for Deloitte Consulting many, many moons ago was with the Kohler Corporation, actually. 
and uh, Kohler was really looking to um, invest in technology that would give them a better sense of their skills DNA. I'll never forget that term. They use that term skills DNA. And if you're not familiar with Kohler, they, they manufacture very specialized products in, in kind of bath and plumbing. And they were, uh, you know, really interested in what made their skilled tradesmen different and what made them special and how they contributed to the organization. And, and I remember thinking, you know, if, if HR isn't serving that mission, really, what is HR there for? You know, it, it's about understanding your people, understanding your workforce. So um, that's where I got first interested in, in that problem of skills management, how to digitize it, how to capture, you know, capture that data and, and then make it available to the organization. So that's a, a little bit about where, where I got my passion for this. You know what? I also want to say thank you for the work you did with Kohler. My sinks look great <laughs> in my house, and, and I'll think of that every time here. So, you know, in preparation for this, cutting this podcast, um, I was doing a little bit of dreaming, I you know, being a creative director. And one of the things I was thinking about in my mind was um, it, the concept of video games. I mean, we're all probably, you know, we grew up in the 80s and, and uh you know, the fact where you could see the actual skills on your your Bo Jackson or your your, your John Madden type games. And I, and I was thinking, are we kind of maybe getting close to that in in our world, in, in, in actual enterprise performance? So that leads me to my first question for you both is that we know that skills, the concept of skills management is certainly a buzzword right now. Jai, let's start with you on this. Why is this such a trending topic? You know, I'm reflecting on what you just said. Why did you want to see that data about your players <laughs> in that video game, right? It's so you'd have a competitive advantage. You'd make those players oh, yeah. competitive advantage over your buddies and you could, uh, you know, dominate uh, Madden. And, you know, what we're finding is that organizations today are craving that data to help them with decision making. We've had so much investment in how to measure your supply chain, how to measure the performance of your equipment, automation. It's really time that measurement of human performance, not in a judgmental way, but in a uh, kind of an objective way to help both the worker and the organization get the best outcome. It's time that that you know organizations have been need to invest in those solutions, um, and it's all about making that worker better, making the workforce more competitive. Um, I think you know there's there's no um, it, it's not a coincidence that also many of the core industries that are interested in this problem are also going through a lot of change right now. So if you look at energy, for instance, you know, uh, the, the green revolution, non-traditional uh, resources, that takes a different skill set than drilling for traditional oil or even drilling for oil in more complicated ways and deeper and deeper environments. That takes a different skill set. Um, so change in the industry is a big driver. Uh, and then finally, you know, there is a little thing called COVID, the pandemic influence <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> just a new way to work virtually and understand where your skills and capability really exists within the organization. And then being able to kind of manage uh, the transparency, even though you're not able to see the person virtually, just like in your video game, can I understand what their capabilities are? Um, and that that's becoming super important. 
Absolutely. John, what are your thoughts on that too? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, COVID has been a huge game changer in terms of how executives uh, and managers view their workforce, right? I mean, not only just looking at the way that people are working uh, virtually and, you know, working from their homes on a regular basis now, uh, you know, I think there was a a feeling that managers just because they could lay eyeballs on their employees and see their employees <laughs> working, that they understood uh, what their skill sets were. But now that people are working remotely, they're not able to get a pulse on a day-to-day basis in terms of, you know, how are, how are my employees performing now? It is with COVID. It has absolutely uh, gotten managers to a point where they, they need to look, be able to look at something a report or some sort of uh, technology that shows, uh, you know, assesses where people are against the the skills that are required for their jobs. And so, what we're seeing a lot is our our clients are asking more about, uh, you know, one, you know, pretty rudimentary. How do how do we assess these things? It's not like a traditional performance appraisal where I'm just asking you, did you meet your goals? Now it's way more important for them, for managers and executives to be able to say, you know, where are we as an organization from a skill set perspective to be able to meet our objectives, both uh, from a job role perspective as well as from an organizational perspective? Where do our our employees individually stack up against those competencies? And so we're having some pretty basic conversations with with our clients in terms of shifting from that, those basic old, older school style performance management to looking at something much more tactile in terms of understanding where people are relative to their the skills within their job roles and be able to report on that. That's one thing that kind of hit me when I was doing some due diligence here, Jai, when I was checking out uh, your your organization, Kahuna, was really seeing some of the the dashboard potentials and what you're saying, John, of having this, this uh, you've got this elusive virtual corporation in many ways, being able to put some tangible performance metrics to different staff, almost like a, you know, I don't want to go too far down the sports row, but like, like uh, baseball cards, right? When we we're kids and you'd say, okay, this person hit 52 home runs last year, right? And this one can't break the Mendoza line. So if it's time for a role, which one maybe is going to have the advantage, even though technically they're both major league baseball players, you know? So it's uh, kind of exciting. I just wanted to give some kudos out there. Shout out, Jai. It looks like your, your tool's pretty interesting. So I wanted to ask you, Jai, uh, what industries do you notice that are really embracing and leading the way, leading this forefront of this skills management? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a spectrum, um, you know, and, and we think about two dimensions to our market. We think about industries and then we think about workforces within those industries. So actual employee demographics within those industries. So, you know, from an industry perspective, when we're talking about these operational skills and the need to track them, we're seeing regulated industries and industries that are technically differentiated. So healthcare, manufacturing, energy, uh, in, in, in many cases, professional services, you know, as core aerospace and defense, those are core industries. And then within those industries, we're seeing workforces like everything from specialized engineering to field service workers who are very tactile to nurses. So it's, it's those types of work, workforces. And in manufacturing, a lot of times the operators, the line operators, 
And, and the last point I'll make here is those workforces, especially the deskless worker, have really been left behind by traditional HR technology. So this idea of being able to quickly assess or understand where I am against my skill requirements, that's a very difficult thing to do if you think you have to log into your HR system where you maybe go to check your benefits. You know, it's not the same experience. It's got to be delivered in the flow of work. And so, you know, that's kind of, you know, something that we've really focused on is that deskless worker and making sure that that use case is really well uh, catered to. Yeah, so I agree with Jai 100% in terms of what, what, what he's seeing. Uh, we, uh, we too, um, are, are hearing from very large uh, organizations specifically. We've got a couple of uh, defense contractors that are, that are asking uh, specifically around their skilled uh, workforce. Uh, the tradesmen, um, but but as Jai was saying, we're also seeing uh, this come up in, in industries where you've got more technical uh, engineering or scientific uh, skilled individuals like pharma. Uh, so we've got some uh, some customers in the pharma space that are that are also looking uh, for for help in this space. For sure. Who's typically responsible for solving this problem? I know everyone's, you know, performance matters for everyone, but who is that individual that says that's that's my stake that I'm holding? Who is that? Jai? Yeah. So, you know, again, focused on that operational skilling problem uh, where the, the workforce is very tactile. It's normally not believe it or not, it's not necessarily coming directly from HR. It's not hmm. an HR person necessarily raising their hand and saying, we need to go solve this problem. Rather, it's operations craving that skill data, just like you crave that skill data on your Madden players. <laughs> right. it's who, like It's somebody who owns the outcome if, if something goes wrong with the workforce uh, or they're not able to produce with quality or you know, they're not a competitor, they can't meet customer demand. So, however, I don't want to diminish HR's role and responsibility in, in executing. And this is where maybe John could comment a little bit on kind of how these programs come to life. But our typical motion is we're, we get engaged with an operational leader who has this need, they, and we encourage them to partner up with their HR counterpart, and then kind of go solve that collaboratively. Because this this doesn't exist if it's truly just operations or just HR. It's got to be a collaboration, and um, you know, learning and development specifically is kind of where where this typically falls to go execute. And it and learning and development has always been one of those hot potatoes. You know, does that <laughs> sit in business? Does it sit in HR? Technical training often sits in the operational side. You know, general corporate learning sits on the HR side. So it's one of those types of situations where you kind of have to figure out what's the best collaborative approach to lead to that business outcome that the organization is counting on. Out of out of an initiative like this, yeah, that's that's interesting, John. What's your take on it? Yeah, so similar to what what Jai is saying, and I mean, typically from our perspective, this we're, we're, we then we are talking to the HR folks, but that's because of what Jai is saying is the operations folks have come to HR asking for some help and solutions uh, from a technical perspective around how to manage this process, and and that one of those large defense contractors I was talking about, this is specifically the case where somebody in operations 
Operations was given the charter to manage this proficiency and skills program. They went to HR and started working with uh, the learning group, uh, the person that's over both um, learning and career development from a technical perspective, from, from an HRIS perspective. And so the question that we have there is more around, so where does this technology fit in the overall HRIS mm, uh, landscape? Right. Is it something that should be part of learning? Is it something that should be something separate? And what we're, what we're, what we tend to, to help our clients understand is that, you know, the, the, the skills management component of this is what drives the demand for the other uh, HR functions or HR processes. So once you identify what those uh, potential skills gaps are, that's what dri- where you see that gap, that's what drives uh, the learning demand. And then that's what also develops, uh, it drives the demand from a development perspective. And so it just needs to integrate with those processes uh, and technology. Thinking about this visually is that it's it's almost like the Avengers coming together, right? You have you have traditional HR with compliance training. You've got operations doing the work, and then this learning and development group that's, you know, depending on the company, sitting somewhere everywhere. So it's almost like they're all coming together and creating this, this new synthesis of skills management. Am I getting close on this? What do you think, Jai? Yeah, absolutely. You're you're spot on. The in the point that I would kind of emphasize out of that is collecting skills data just to collect it doesn't do anybody any good. So it truly needs to integrate. It is it is the Avengers coming together. And if you do that, you now have an ecosystem, which I think is part of, you know, the, the learning landscape. Um, I think of it as, a, as an ecosystem where you have a bunch of downstream systems that now have are skill aware, which make them that much smarter in the way they can recommend learning, the way that you can get a resource kind of developed more quickly in a more personalized fashion. And and that's just not possible if you don't understand the baseline proficiency of all these critical skills in your organization and understand where you should be making those bets and investments in learning. So, you know, it it truly is kind of a supply and demand type of equation where the demand for that learning, as John mentioned, is really informed by the supply of your current capabilities and what <laughs> you're trying to you know, change. Absolutely. So sp- speaking about this in terms of making an approach, how would you say are organizations changing their approach to learning then when they do adopt this skilling mindset? So what we're seeing is, you know, take a large field services company that the typical motion or even a healthcare co- company organization, typical motion is I hire somebody into a job role. I've got a, a long curricula mapped out for that employee when they come in on board. And I know it's going to take me nine to 12 months before they're going to be really unsupervised operating in their role. And everybody right. goes through the same templatized job code based training. And then sometimes if I transfer from one organization to another, I start that journey over or I have a lot of redundant, repetitive training because it's all based on a standard curricula that's been developed. And I have no idea whether half that training is even relevant for me because I'm an experienced hire. I'm walking in with 80% of the skills and proficiencies that 
you know, I need to do the job. I should really just be focused on that 20% or I'm never going to go work on a customer job that has certain equipment or specific criteria. So why am I bothering training uh, the person in those procedures and equipment? So what we're seeing is the mindset shifts from a templatized global learning first view to a skill building or capability first view of how we need to develop our people. And that makes it much more efficient, targeted, personalized, engaging for the learner, for the worker in that model. And ultimately what that's resulting in is much more you know, streamlined time to revenue or time to productivity for the worker. I, I can also see that from the employee standpoint or the worker standpoint, they feel a lot more motivated because their time is being honored. Their former skills are being honored. Just like if you uh, took honors classes in high school and you know what, you've earned that credit and you don't have to pay the extra hours to the college, right? So you're, you're kind of taking that same skills mindset into the, the enterprise workforce. You nailed it. 100%. <laughs> Hashtag nailed it. So, John, anything you want to add there? Uh, you know, I know while we're just basking at your beautiful view there in Hawaii uh, regarding how you're noticing and observing organizations ad adopting their approach or changing their approach. Yeah. So I think the, the, the big thing with um, this that, that I think some organizations are, are struggling with is everything that Jai said, you know, there's there's clear, tangible uh, outcomes if, if you take this approach. But the question is, how do you get there up front, uh, you know, from the traditional sense of, of HR processes where you just you start the year by looking at goals and then you, you know, at the end of the year, you look at whether or not you've achieved them. With this, it takes a bit more thoughtfulness to, to understand within each job role, what are the what are the skill sets required? Uh, and then boiling that up from a from a higher level as from an organizational perspective, what do we need to to achieve our mission uh, for for this particular year? Uh, and so it requires looking at each job role and understanding what those skill sets are. Uh, and in the end, you know, from a from a development perspective, employees are much more clear about what it is that they need to do uh, once those gaps are identified between where they are and where they need to be. Uh, but also the organization as a whole understands where they are uh, versus where they need to be. Uh, and so it does take some thoughtfulness of, of mapping through understanding what the organizational objectives are, what the job role objectives are, and, and uh, before you can get to, to start doing those assessments to see where people are. And so it, it does require HR uh, and working with, uh, with trained professionals understanding how to do those mappings. Um, and working with executives to understand what the mission of the organization is uh, and then be able to pull, pull all that stuff together in terms of being able to then map it into a, into a system, HR system, to be able to track it going forward. So this is an open question to either of you then. Uh, thinking about this, obviously, from the, the workforce perspective, could this potentially then boost employee engagement from just an overall career pathing perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there, there's a there's several things emerging on that front. One is, you know, engaging the the worker learner in that learning journey because you've now got an incentive, right? You, you talked about that. I'm more my time is valued, and I know why I'm engaging with these learning resources. They're they're specifically advancing my capabilities in these areas, but 
The second phase of that is the organization has told me they value these skills. They value them because they're needed in the future for us to be mm. successful in the company. So I'm going to fit into that future picture better. So I have incentive from job retention perspective. And then the final piece of that that we're seeing that I think is super exciting is the concept of pay for skills. So, hmm. you know, in the past, the way you get <laughs> got my attention, often, <laughs> <laughs> the, the way you get rewarded often is, you know, a promotion, right? And not everyone, the organization can't offer everyone a promotion because you become a top heavy organization, but the organization also understands, especially in today's labor market, that I can't have valuable skills walking out the door. So if I've gone through the, the work of identifying the critical skills for the future of my business, I've mapped them to roles, operational roles. I've assigned those to people. And now those people are doing their part of the bargain and coming through and developing themselves towards those skills. That becomes a really powerful combination of data the last piece of that is now i can start to understand that when you hit certain skill or capability milestones i can offer you more reward in in the form of compensation relative to that achievement so you don't walk out the door i'm being proactive there's a trust in that contract between the worker and the organization if there's real-time feedback that if I achieve these capabilities, I automatically are going to be eligible for this additional compensation. And I think that's super exciting to see organizations taking that type of a mindset um, to how they can use this data again and engage engage the worker in the journey. Yeah. And I think that just to, look, I, I don't know very many successful yeah. people that um, just as a human being, let alone from an employee perspective that that you know, wouldn't like to understand where they are and where they're going, right, uh, in life. <laughs> so right, the, that's pretty so foundational. From, from, so from a, from, an, from just from a uh, from a personal perspective, most people like to understand where they are and where they're headed. And so, to, from an engagement perspective, what what this does is it provides employees whether they want to whether they want to be good at what they're doing right now or whether they want to be able to understand what are the paths forward for me from a career development perspective i can look at any particular job role and understand what are the skills that are required to be able to do my job now or to be able to do something else that i may want to do in the future and then understand what do i need to do to get there uh, from a different and, and even at different proficiency levels and then to jai's point about tying that back to compensation i can then understand how i'll be rewarded for that so it's just very, as you said, it's very foundational, um, and so it takes things from being much more uh, nebulous from a from a traditional process perspective, and, and makes things much more concrete uh, for employees. And so, without question, it, it it lends itself to being able to to truly engage employees in understanding where they are and where they're headed. Let's think about if you're saying, okay, I'm liking this. I want to approach skills management here. So I'm just going to put this out here. Are there some different ways of approaching skills management to accomplish that same end goal? So I think that we should start with the end goal. Um, okay. And you need to define what the end goal is. And that is, it sounds easier sometimes than, than you know, <laughs> Everyone, sure, this sounds great. If I had a dashboard I could pull up with 
uh, you know, my entire workforce and their proficiency against the critical skills of my organization, fantastic. The question again comes back to why are we collecting this data in field services uh, organizations? That may be, again, because I need to make better assignments of personnel against customer jobs, that they're better fit or my customer's business strategy is changing. They're going into renewable energy. I need to take all my wind or my uh, electrical turbine mechanics and turn them into wind turbine mechanics, whatever, <laughs> whatever that goal is, there needs to be a, a true business outcome that you're measuring and trying to achieve. If not, I would say, sure, there are different ways of, of, kind of accomplishing skills management. It can be as nebulous and loose as, you know, going to an open source skills cloud or skills ontology and, and making all of that available to your end user uh, or worker, and then they can self-direct self their, you know, choose your own adventure when it comes to skills. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is, again, these hard business outcome-driven skills initiatives that have critical skills identified per job role, and you really validate the user proficiency and have trust in that data to drive that outcome. And I, I think we see programs throughout that spectrum. My bias is that you know the ones that are more geared towards operational outcomes are the ones that are gonna be around in five, 10, 15 years, because they will have made your workforce a competitive advantage. John, what about you on this? Is Are you tracking with that? Do you have a little different uh, perspective? No, 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 I, no, totally tracking with that. And I know I'm about to say something that's really shocking, but you know, <laughs> even more fundamental than, than this, that you know, like with any HR uh, technology implementation, um, or initiative, it has to have executive leadership and sponsorship. Uh, and so to even get to, to the point, uh, to the points that Jai was making, this is all driven by, um, by executives that, that have a vision and understanding where their organization's going, uh, what information they want to be looking at uh, to, to be able to make strategic decisions. Um, and so it's then going to HR and asking, you know, for, for help and support. And, uh, you know, what I will say is that, you know, my experience in the past is that when HR isn't able to, to support these types of initiatives, those executives are going to go somewhere else where they can find somebody that can give that, whether it's a, whether it's operations or finance or whoever that can give them very tactile uh, responses in terms of the information that they're looking for. Um, so it really is about executive leadership and understanding what it is, uh, where the organization is, where they're headed, uh, and providing that guidance and direction uh, for being able to pull together these programs and understanding the the, the, the next steps. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. Um, it, it's a function of just having a vision and being able to, to, to have the right consulting partner and technology partner to work with you to, to pull these things together. As somebody's driving right now, they're listening to this podcast and they go, I like this idea of skills management. It sounds kind of exciting. What would be some of the first steps that you both would recommend? I think, again, once you have clear vision as to why you're doing this, then I think it's, as John said, it's a question then of going through a pretty focused exercise of identifying critical roles within the organization and what 
skills and capabilities align with those roles. And there's a way to do that. There, you know, there's a methodology, and that's where a, a, a partner like GP Strategies really comes in in terms of helping you structure a, a really good way of getting to that content, if you will, that skills framework, the governance, the the ability to define those job task analysis and break down those roles into the critical elements. And then, you know, marrying that up with technology to to bring it all to life. And and there's a there's a way, there's a methodology to to that. Um, there are best practices to do that. It doesn't have to be a big weighty three-year exercise. We, you know, we're helping organizations do that in in very quick turnaround times. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's uh, the the last comment that Jai made was the one that's that to me that's most important is that, you know, a lot of times people uh, can get feel like they're getting crushed by the weight of of just the thought of a program like this and. You know, it doesn't have to be that way, um, you know, to take a, a shot across, uh, you know, the, the big strategic consulting groups that love to get as many people in the door to help out with these types <laughs> of things. And it's in their benefit for these things to be long, uh, protracted, uh, you know, development cycles in terms of pulling these programs together. You know, my my suggestion is always, you know, don't try to boil the ocean. Um, you know, a lot of times what, <laughs> works, really well, yeah. <laughs> what works really well with this is to pick a, a critical area uh, of specific job roles um, or skill sets that, that, that you know there's going to be some traction. Uh, for instance, you know, engineers love stuff like this, right? Engineers, you know, talking exactly. what I was saying earlier about, you know, wanting where, knowing where you are and where you're headed. <laughs> That, that's engineers to a, to a T. So you can usually uh, find groups within an organization that uh, that naturally will gravitate towards these types of programs and you can you know pick a subset of job roles out, uh, do those mappings and, and move forward. And um, you know obviously in terms of looking at the technology, you know, it's it's not looking for technology that that is a, an all singing, all dancing elephant that can that can do everything. It's <laughs> something that this needs to be very specific in terms of what you're trying to achieve. Can I assess my employees against the skill sets that we require? And once we identify the gaps in those skill sets, what is the result of the, that output and can it easily map and integrate into a career development program moving forward? Gentlemen, this has been a thrilling conversation. We appreciate your insight today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, Michael. Appreciate it. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com. 